Great beat. Actually, I do not replicate that, but great, great music. Thank you. If you want more of that, I can do that later for you. If you don't want it, I won't do it. I'm James Schaefer. I want you to please open up in your copy of the Bible. You can look in the front of you or have your own copy, analog or digital. Turn, please, or look, please, to Psalm chapter 2, the book of Psalms chapter 2. And I want to make it plain, Psalms are or is, the book of Psalms is God's prayer book. It is a book that he has written to express your heart, not just the writer who happens to be, in many cases, King David. But these are prayers that God has given us, and he has given us answers to prayer. One of the tremendous things we had yesterday with the men's breakfast, wonderfully attended by Nick Keefe, shared how God has been teaching him to pray. I want to share with you, when, as often as you pray, as often as you can, use the Psalms to pray, and you will see as amazingly God works his answers, because he describes it in these prayers. So I'm going to read from you, or for you, excuse me, the book of Psalms, chapter 2. And this is an important psalm because it deals with some difficulty, perhaps even akin to this very weekend that we're celebrating as we discover Psalm chapter 2. Follow with me, please. Verse 1, Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion my holy hill. I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Excuse me. And following, as it has been lost in front of me, Verse 8, thank you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Now you might find this a little bit unusual, the reference that we just finished reading in verse 12. But the theme of Psalm chapter 2 is about kissing. And now I want to know that I want to exclaim at least that kissing is about closeness. It's about loyalty. It's about commitment. It's about love. Isn't that right, Elizabeth? 
and she is my wife. The, the theme of the book of Psalms, and Psalm chapter 2 specifically, is a Hebrew word which is kiss. And the word literally means to draw close in commitment to someone or to something. But this is an important definition because Psalm chapter 2 describes the results of this kiss. The world's kiss, as you may have already sensed by listening to the scripture, the world's kiss draws one's one's close to the world. It actually feeds selfish desires and it breaks ties with and to God. But on the other hand, God's kiss is a seal of blessing, a blessing between people and between God. Psalm 85 says that God's righteousness, His holiness, His anger for wrong and injustice kisses peace. That is, through the Messiah, God Himself, He has kissed our need. The world's kiss breaks And people, we're going to learn more of this through the psalm, but you already know this. The world's kiss breaks, but God's kiss is a kiss of hope. The question is that we're going to discover is which result is in our lives. And so as you look at Psalm chapter 2, it describes this world in increasingly polarization and more and more factions, and it talks about these two factions in Psalm 2. It One breaks ties to God because it's committed to self, and people are committed to self. But Psalm 2 also gives hope because the Son, the Christ, the Savior, God's only Messiah, Christ Himself, blesses, and He provides refuge And people can kiss, or that is, draw close in hope to him. Now, this was promised early through the scriptures, but this promise is what we need today, to have hope in him. And Psalm chapter 2 begins with sort of the dark realities of the world, the things that I said of. You know about it. You've seen it. You know these things are going on. But it closes in a prayer of hope because of the Messiah. And so verses 1 through 3 deal with the question or the, the issue. The world's kiss breaks. It breaks down relationships. It breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our own hearts. But then verses 4 through 12, God's kiss blesses. And it blesses by means of mercy. And by means of the person who brings mercy, and that is the Messiah himself. So the the kiss of the world does break, and it breaks, verses 1 through 2, it breaks ties with God. Listen as I read the scripture. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? Kings of the earth set themselves, and rulers counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. You probably guessed it, nations and peoples, the phrase there, is not just referring to those outside. It's not just referring to the Gentiles, 
because we are they. We are nations and people. It is all of us. This world has and is increasing in division, polarization, the obvious breaking of cords or ties to God, while kissing or seeking any means invented so far to feed selfish desires. That's what this world's kiss does. And you don't have to look at me strangely, even though this may seem like a strange way of addressing it, because you know you have experiences, you have suffered perhaps. This world kiss breaks your own heart. And Psalm 2 says that all the world rages. This is not only the inner turmoil or the grumbling of anger, but literally the word means commotion. It means a screaming noise. It's like a screaming, raging mob. The, the world that we have been part of, the world that we are part of, is part of this mob. And you know, sometimes we know that we're guilty of joining in the rage, sometimes in social media, sometimes in raging in news reports or adding to them, in our own homes, our own families, in our own lives, maybe just even our own attitudes. But rage, even, even as the scripture refers to it here, rage that it refers to here, and maybe the rage that this world is going through, is not just about injustice. It's not just about right and wrong. Think carefully as you examine the scripture. This rage and behind all of the rage that we continue to see in our world is raging against a person. It's raging against God's anointed. It's raging against him. More and more people of this world kiss in a rage that divides, polarizes, breaks ties to God. But it's interesting, as the scripture describes further, this rage is not haphazard. It's just not a mob frenzy. This rage that is referred to is actually a formalized, long-term, and the word is this, you probably caught it, it's a plot. It's plotting. I'm not talking conspiracy, but actually it refers to the plotting to break ties with God and with people. So looking at verses 2 through 3, the kiss of the world not only breaks ties with God, but it breaks ties with people. And listen again to verses 2 through 3. The kings of, them, of this world, and I want you to hear the key words, set themselves, and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let us break their bonds apart, and cast away the cords from us. I am not talking about the boogeyman. I'm not talking about a conspiracy. I'm talking, as the scripture reflects, of those that set themselves. And the interesting concept is that this word set means a constant, firm stand. But in this case, it's not good. It's not good, friends. Rather, it's the kiss of the world that increases in selfish venom 
and it increases in selfish velocity. In other words, it goes more quickly, more rapidly, and it increases its ties and hurt, breaking its ties against God and people. And that's not all. The phrase, take counsel, means to consult. It means to actually write plans. To write plans and to write policy. So Psalm chapter 2 is describing something more than just a mass mob frenzy of anger against the Lord and His anointed. It's describing an actual intentional plotting and planning. And it describes kings and leaders who literally make policy against God and against believers. There are policies today, and you know them. There are policies today that promise good, but instead bring evil and attempts to distance ourselves from each other, distance ourselves from God, break ties with each other and with God. And some think of this evil as though it were sort of like a comic book fiction. And maybe, maybe that's because it is advertised or shown that way. I want to say, people, it's not. It's not. Last month, I visited a beautiful country, Cuba. And I went to the, the capital city, La Habana. This country and its leadership actively designs aggressive policies to break ties between believers, to break ties between believers or people and God, and to break ties in the society. And I personally experienced this. Because as we were working in, in Havana, two spies, two government spies were following me and those on the team throughout the city. And at first I thought I was imagining it. I thought, am I really thinking correctly? Is this just my imagination of a boogeyman? Until I confronted them. So I and another pastor walked across the street and talked to these two individuals who were posing as those who were just sitting on the doorstep. And I asked them, and this is the first question I asked them, have you ever given your heart to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Perhaps a counterintuitive question. But not only did the spies admit that they were reporting back to the government agents on our conduct, but they answered, yes, yes, I would like to receive Jesus Christ. And they did receive Christ as Savior right there. And perhaps you've seen some of the pictures. Next month, I'm going to explain more about this in the moment with missions about also a Cuban pastor, a friend of mine who lives here in Waldorf who was jailed in a forced labor camp for more than a dozen years as a result of policy in order to eliminate and break ties with God, with Christians, and even with society. Now, people, this is not new stuff. This is not something that's just made up of recent. This is, however, getting worse. And Jesus said about these end times in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, then they will deliver you up. To tribulation, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and many will fall away and betray and hate one another. 
People, this is part of our own history. This is part of our own experience this weekend. In a few days, we're going to celebrate July the 4th in our recent independence. The American Revolution of 1776 and the French Revolution of 1789 were both due to government policy, (laughs) both due to policies in which leaders decided to work against people's God-given rights and leaders plotted to take away what we now call in the Declaration inalienable rights given by God and instead those policies affirm freedom of, or again, uh, as opposed to affirming freedom of religion, substituted an ever-increasing freedom from religion and established those policies to break ties with God and people. And this struggle is ongoing. Some have said that we have entered into a season of identity-based politics and tribalism. And it's popular worldwide, a worldwide policy to say that faith in Christ, your faith, my faith in Jesus Christ, is considered just a partisan or a tribal faction politic. But I want to make something very, very plain. I do not support political responses. As elders, we do not support political responses. On the contrary, this world's kiss promises to be good, and instead it breaks ties to God and to people. And though Psalm chapter 2 begins with a dark, the dark realities of the world, yet I support, and we as a church support, God who offers the kiss of hope The hope that this world needs, not only your own hearts, our own lives, but the kiss of God that this world needs. And that's why in verses 4 through 12, we read now how God's kiss blesses. And it blesses by mercy and by the presence of the Messiah himself. As you read Psalm chapter 2, and perhaps as you find more of the scriptures in front of you, you realize Who is this talking about? And it begins to tell us more and more of someone who will rescue us. This rescuer is the Messiah himself, the Christ in person, God in the flesh. And Psalm chapter 2 begins now, and it changes the tone by saying that this God who brings us blessing by mercy and by the Messiah is a person. Now, we were discussing this in a recent life group, and someone in the life group said, we need divine intervention. And that guy was right, because God has intervened, and he will draw close, and he will do it by blessing with mercy and by the Messiah Christ himself. How? How is he going to do this? Verses 4 through 5. Hold on to your thinking, because this you need to catch. And I'll say it slowly. He sits. How does he do it? How does he bring his blessing? I'll say it again. He sits. Verses 4 through 5. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. The emphasis is not only, it's not the fury, but the emphasis is the priority of the placement of the verb in the sentence. He sits to bring his mercy. Yes, he laughs. He derides those who think that they can oppose God, but he could crush this world. And he does not. And he does not. It is his mercy that holds back his fury. And instead he blesses us. The scripture says, For the Lord is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And Peter says, And he is patient towards you, not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. All. And this is us. This is us. This is we who need mercy. He is absolutely, securely in control. Not by raging like this world or even like we ourselves have done, but he is in control in this world by sitting. The Messiah God blesses not by ranting, but by sitting firmly in control, and he reasons with us through mercy. Isaiah spoke of this Messiah, and he said more carefully and more clearly than perhaps has ever been said, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Christ, the Messiah, blesses by divine intervention. When he sits with people, with us, who are broken in our broken, smoldering ruins of our lives, and he withholds fury for now. He withholds fury for now. And he sits and offers mercy. People, this message of Psalm chapter 2, rather the message of the Messiah, is the message of mercy. Mercy that the world is thirsty for, and yet they continue to consume sand. The sand and the grit and the grime of this world. This world needs mercy, and our message is the mercy of the Messiah Jesus Christ. And He sits to give mercy to this world. Not only does He sit, but He sets. Verses 6-11. through 11. He could have responded in final searing judgment. We know that's what we want. Injustice must be dealt with. But the reference to the Messiah here in this Psalm chapter 2 takes a decided turn from the human plotting and from the human rage and the human self-seeking and the human kissing to get one's desires and it countermands it by God's blessing. How does God give his blessing by setting his son, Christ the Messiah, in the world. 
in the world. This, people, this is hope. There was this general, and some of you in the military may remember this in some of your studies, this general called Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar in uh, 46 BC in the Battle of Zella, Turkey, came and he used a phrase in his successful battle, and he says, I came, I saw, and I conquered. It's the phrase you may have heard in Latin, Beni Vidi Vici. Beni Vidi Vici. That's not an Italian sub or a pizza. <laughs> Caesar, however, set himself up. He set himself up with the lustful kiss of the world. And it worked for a time. But Jesus Christ, God the Messiah, in the flesh, came, saw, and conquered with the kiss that blessed through mercy. So Jesus, first of all, said, and I want to emphasize this for the Messiah, he said, I came, the word in Latin is Benny. In verse 6, follow with me. As for me, the writer God himself is saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The word set means to install. It means to install not just in a figment, not just in a, a, an imaginary comic book way, but to literally install in time and in place. And he came and he set himself as the king not to destroy, but to personally, personally bless. Those who don't think God is personal must face the incongruity, the absolute incongruity that unless he's personal, and then he's not God. God's character, God's character demands personal care. Jesus personally came. The Messiah personally came with mercy. See, he came. Second, he saw. Bidi is the word in Latin. Verse 7 says, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The word begotten doesn't mean born. It means installed at the highest order, at the highest level. God Almighty in Jesus saw us and our sin and our lust for the world and our lust for the world's kiss. But instead of breaking us, he blesses us. Jesus sees us. He sees this world. He responds by weeping and pity for sheep without a shepherd. Oh yes, Jesus got angry as you read in the New Testament. But the majority of his response was pity, compassion, weeping. Friends, he was doing that for us. We need mercy. And then he came and conquered. The Latin word is beachy. Verses 8-11 through 11 explains how Jesus the Messiah came and conquered by mercy. Because he's going to make all the nations his heritage. Even, as you read in the end of the psalm, even ruling with a rod of iron is not cruelty. That doesn't mean vindictive punishment, but it means equity, justice. For the first time, Jesus conquered because of mercy. So how do we respond? How do we respond to God's mercy? 
and to the Messiah. How do we do that? There's three responses that people give. One, they assent. The idea of assent is someone like, hey, yeah, I can admit Jesus came. C.S. Lewis, who was an author during the Second World War, and perhaps because of the pain of what they went through, these authors, they knew some of the pain of what Jesus was trying to explain. C.S. Lewis said this, Jesus produced mainly three different effects, hatred, terror, or adoration. There was really no trace ever of people expressing mild assent of Jesus. Ah, nice guy. No, it doesn't really occur in the scriptures. If one gives mild approval or assent to Jesus' mercy and says, yeah, meh, that's nice, then they really haven't met the real Jesus. But they may be caught, we may be caught, in the kisses of the world. Another response to the mercy and the Messiah, ah, some people assess it. Some people may say, well, I need time to evaluate if the kiss of the world is all that bad. People, that's like gambling with the world's kisses, but wanting to hit a Christian jackpot. It is incongruous. It doesn't happen. This kiss of the world is a curse. Or our response to the mercy and to the Messiah can be to abandon our lives to him. You know, he offers the only kiss of hope for the world and for our lives. The only kiss of hope for this world and our lives. Verse 12 says it this way. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. This is an important concept because the Messiah's anger The Messiah's anger is not for being rejected, though he has been and repeatedly has been. We know our own lives as well as the lives of this world. His anger is because of the loss, the waste of souls kissing this vapid world's trash instead of treasuring him, kissing up with sand and the grime and the grit of this world, as opposed to coming to the Savior. Another author during the Second World War, J. Sidlow Baxter, said about this fear that we have of abandoning our lives to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He said, we human beings now find ourselves in an excruciating contradiction within ourselves. We want to escape God. Yet at the same time, we desperately need to abandon ourselves to him. We're terrified at the consuming fire of his holiness. And yet, oh, oh, if we could find a God of compassion. Is there not anyone who could tell us? Yes, there is. One who comes to tell us. His name is Jesus. In him, God looks on us through human eyes beckons us with human hands, feeds us, feels us with human emotions, weeps for us with human tears, and undertakes as God in the flesh to be our rescuer. This is why abandoning our lives is the only course of action. And so in conclusion, people spend 
lives and fortunes and fixations to kiss this world, to fulfill selfish desires, what is God's response? He could be vengeful. He could be retributive. He could be righteous. He is angry. But because of wasted lives and squandered love, what must we do? There's two things, and I'm asking right now for the prayer teams to come up. There are two things, please, prayer teams. There are two things that we can do. Tell him. Tell him you love him. Kiss the son. If you have told the Lord before that you love him, tell him again. If you've never told the Lord before that you love him, tell him now. And if for the first time that you want to tell the Lord you love him, do it now. And be among those here who we pray for. Tell him you love him. And then take refuge in him. Love him in his refuge, in his presence, time, prayer, effort, strength. Kiss the Son. Love the Son. Come to him because he restores the soul, the soul that is eternal. This is his kiss of hope. I invite you, if you desire, tell him you love him. If you want to do that publicly with the prayer teams, do that publicly. And also take refuge in him. Write yourself a note. Make yourself a commitment. Write that down. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you, you are the one who comes, who as Messiah God came to give us mercy. You yourself came and set yourself in this earth Lord, you have brought us now to the point of decision. Lord, we love you. And for those, Lord, who are struggling with this, Lord, give them grace to call out and say, I love you, Lord, and to take refuge in you. Father, we are lifting up before you these hearts here in this hearing, but also these who we want to love for you, people who we desire to bring to the mercy of the Messiah. Father, hear us, O Lord, and we call upon you because you are the one who is merciful and loves us. And we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen.